They just came on now. Let's try to get closer to the stage. Sorry. Excuse me. Do you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal. Thanks. Wow. Three celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ie forward slash music. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest has been a runner-up for the Steel Rudd Award for her book How to Conceive of a Girl. She's won the Age Short Story Award, has been awarded several Australia Council Literature Board Fellowships, a Varuna Writers Fellowship, the inaugural Dini O'Hearn Fellowship at the Australian Centre, was awarded a PhD for her thesis, The Body as Fiction, Fiction as a Way of Thinking, and is here today to read from and talk about her poetry memoir, Vagabondage, a book that chronicles her year on the road in a camper van. Beth Spencer, welcome. Hi, thank you so much. Now, I love the way the book opens with a letter to, to the reader. Um, can I ask you to just begin our chat by reading Dear World? Yeah, sure. Dear World, I've sold my house, my 10-year sanctuary and refuge. My garden, wrestled from weeds and clay, is in new hands. I bought a camper van because it seems I can't afford a flat after all. Melbourne property prices boom. I'm a whisper of butterflies, but here I come. Please make room. With love, Beth. P.S. I plan to leave no trace. I love that as an opening because I think it's, a, it's an invitation, isn't it? Yeah, it was hard to sort of know how to sort of set the piece, set the book up. You know, I wrote, I didn't write them in order and, you know, wrote them in all different, I sort of had an idea from the start that it was going to be in that year and after a while I realised I just needed that kind of poem to sort of start it off and I didn't know how to how to introduce all the elements about selling the house and so on and then one day as happens you know you sort of put it in your brain and let it mix around for a long time and then I just sort of sat down I thought I have to have something to start it and I just thought dear world yeah and off it went. Yes perfect and, and tell me about leaving no trace. Yes, well, Leaving No Trace is um, kind of a slogan for um, being on the road or camping. It's a worldwide um, movement and Leave No Trace means, like, you know, you take your own rubbish. You, the, If you stay overnight somewhere on the side of the road or in a camping ground, when you leave, it's as, as if you weren't there. So I think it's a really interesting thing because a lot of... A lot of about writing is trying to leave a trace, mm. but then sometimes when you write outside of the sort of the mainstream forms, it's a very small trace. It's a sort of a, it, you are kind of removing yourself in a way at the same time as you're putting yourself in. And and this kind of, what I loved about writing the memoir in poetry was that it allowed me to sort of have that real contradictiness about wanting to sort of well it was more I actually wanted just to tell the story to myself to start with to sort of make sense of it and um, I even sort of to, to actually be able to go quite into what was quite raw stuff at times I had to trick myself that no one would read it anyway and so there was this yeah I think that sort of leaving a trace is, is a really interesting issue 
for writers and for perhaps writers who are in whatever way on the margins. And like for me, as um, I was 50 years old when I hopped in that camper van, I had no children, I had no husband, I didn't even have a real job. Um, I'd actually given up writing because it, it was, um, I was kind of getting, I was getting terrible back, I even t every time I even thought about it. And I didn't even have a home anymore. I didn't even have that little place on earth which I could say was mine. So there was this kind of very strange feeling of sort of almost disappearing in a way at the same time as I was taking myself out into the world to, again, after being isolated for quite a while living alone. So, yeah, I, I, the Leave No Trace is an interesting thing for me. It is, and, <laughs> and of course you did leave a trace. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, yeah, it's sort of every, every when I started it, I, I just thought this will be my writer's rehab project. I just thought, yeah, I'll just write a little book of poetry just to see if I can learn to write with joy again and a bit more ease and just to make sense of that very strange year when I lived in the camper van. And then when I would start building the story and working out what kind of elements could go in it and getting ideas for it and stuff, I think, oh, this could actually be quite an interesting book about home and belonging and a whole lot of kind of issues like that. And then I start getting a backache again. So I'd have to kind of <laughs> pull back and <laughs> trick myself again into um, it just being a private kind of thing. So it's a, it's a very... It's a small trace. <laughs> Freudian backache. <laughs> and, um, oh, absolutely. It was, yes, it was, it was, every time I wrote, I, I kind of, I think I started to feel the weight of the world on my shoulders and um, that kind of, yes, it was, it was like, you know, it's, I'm a very slow writer and it had taken me so long working on the book that I was working on before this that I didn't finish um, that, the, the longer it took, the better it had to be to justify having kind of pretty much given up so many things to be a writer. And um, just the weight of that just crushed me. So it was so fascinating for me that in writing a book that was not worrying about making, you know, I didn't worry about the contribution I was making. I didn't try and engage with any deep cultural issues or anything like that. It was, it was really quite a personal book. But I guess if you have immersed yourself in all those issues for so many years, you kind of can't help but that end up in the writing anyway. So I feel it does actually have a sort of a politics to it. <laughs> yes, and, and um, sadly, I think perhaps more and more so, um, you, you talk to the ABC about the decision to sell up and take to the road as a choice made of a whole lot of constraints. But, you know, with house rices prices rapidly rising i'll try not to use the word bubble because um, our illustrious treasurer has assured me that there is none um but this is becoming an issue for so many people isn't it oh and particularly for women um who are older who don't have a lot of super who might have had a divorce and lost their house um who might have sort of ambiguous relationships with their relatives for whatever reason um, there's a lot of people or people who have been writers and haven't sort of built up super, haven't built up that foundation. There's um, a lot of people who do sort of, you know, get to 50 or 60 and um, housing is a huge issue. Uh, and, and I think for women too it's perhaps more because we are 
brought up that home is something we create and it's so important for us to create. And um, it's that sense of safety of having your own patch. Um, so, no, I think it's it's actually becoming a very big, it's a very hidden thing because women can often sort of like sleep on someone's couch or in their spare room, but they still might feel homeless, psychologically feeling extremely homeless and extremely, um, all the impacts that go with that. So I think it's a lot more hidden. Yes, and, and that also the, the notion, I guess, of just going back to leaving no trace, this notion of invisibility. Um, yeah. That, that happens with age, too. Uh, you, in, you wrote a marvelous piece um, in The Age, Are Wrinkles Really All That Ugly?, and spoke about the concept of finding beauty and functionality and, and patina. Uh, you know, the, the notion of embracing one's patina in life, but, you know, maybe even looking at moving beyond this artificial picture of the normative, the sort of Barbie doll look in life that seems to be promoted by reality television. That's a common theme in the book, isn't it? Yeah, it's it was... It's the book was sort of. I mean, there's there's lots of aspects to the book for me anyway, because there was the decision to write it, which you know was was a good one for me because it did get me back into writing and it did get me back into um, writing with more ease, even when it's difficult. And um, but there's also the reception of it has been enormously kind of healing for me because to write something so personal and have so many people connect with it in so many different ways. So um, I think a lot of that leaving no trace is also about um, the emotional kind of feelings you have. I mean, the very first poem I wrote in the book is called Reasons to Leave and I can barely even read that one again because um, I, I actually spoke it onto the iPhone in the middle of the night and writing that, it was that constant sort of fleeing whenever I started to feel too vulnerable or got a bit overwhelmed and just always being in somebody else's life, somebody else's house that they've created and everybody else's life seems to be so much better. They've got, you know, they've got the jobs, they've got the kids, they've got the fantastic house, the renovation, you know, all these things happening and, um, you know, here I am turning up to camp van <laughs> and it was surprising the number of people that said, oh, you're so lucky. But um, it's sort of that kind of desire to be invisible so I guess as a writer you've got a desire to leave a trace but at the same time there's that conflict of wanting to also protect yourself and to be invisible and you're also dealing with a lot of stuff that is usually kind of kept hidden um, so it's yeah it's been really heartening for me that when I you know just wrote as me that that really connected with people so it was almost like a validation of all the things that I thought were so wrong about me in that year, all the things that I didn't have, were actually the things that allowed me to have this quite different concept of the world and a different understanding of, of it that allowed me to write the book, which then contributed and connected. So I guess that's a, that was a pretty big life lesson for me. <laughs> so on that note, because that brings us perfectly to the poem On Being Inessential, could I ask you oh, to read that one? Well, yeah, this one is, is <laughs> you're picking out all the raw ones. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's, it all is in a way, but it's sort of, it, look, it was, it was just great writing poetry because if I had have tried to write this as prose, I, I think I would have felt so locked in those kind of vulnerable parts of it, whereas with poetry you can sort of then skip the next poem can be a funny poem or it can skip to something else and you can switch voices and you just build that kind of really fragmented self of 
sense of self rather than trying to make it into some kind of linear thing that made sense. And so writing it as poetry really suited me and at this time and, and suited the um, whole story, I think. So this one's called On Being Inessential. To be enjoyed but not essential, no important cog in anyone's machine, is liberating if you can handle the vertigo. Low on the priority list out of necessity. Partner, children, aged parents, siblings, work colleagues, choir buddies, children's friends, parents, soccer coach, therapist. Oh yes, and my beloved single friend. Able to disappear, no one really notices. And I am practised at this. Sixth child. Once I hid for a whole afternoon behind the glory box, the blue one with the Queen's wedding pictures in the secret lift up top. If I could just sit here quietly forever. A poor girl's substitute for running away, but where was an eight-year-old to go? My mother called and called. When she found me, she gave me a look, a new one, puzzled and a tinge annoyed. Not new enough to break my invisibility spell. Tea's ready. Exasperated, I followed, meek, but I saved the spoon, tunnelling into worlds beyond. And now... Travelling, travelling, travelling. Keep those paws and moving. How did I get here? You are so lucky. No chains, no collars, no golden ring that binds. No green soft mossy cushion for your fall. Drifter, a red balloon. The queendom of free. Just another word. One thing that comes up for me in that poem, um, and it comes up in many poems, is this notion of the fluidity of time which I guess is real in many ways, um, but also the, the way in which maybe this is part of the traveling, not just traveling forward in time, you also seem to be traveling backwards as well. Yes, because wherever I would go, it would trigger a new memory. And so there's a long part in, in the middle of the book about um, the shipwreck coast, for example, which is where I went many years ago and I um, when I got ill and um, you'd travel to other places and all these things would trigger. But I think that's what, that's what I also like about writing in fragments or montage is that um, I don't think we remember things as a, a linear chain. It's, it's more like a rhizome, if you think of it that way, that sort of one thing leads to another. And when we construct our histories and when we tell our stories, um, you know, we can alter them by what we put around them. And um, so I think this allowed me to go back over that terrain of that year and, and of course, the question, how did I get here, was kind of a really recurring one for me. How did, you know, how did I get to myself at 50 years old in this situation that I'm living in a camper van? And um, so there was that kind of reflective thing and it, it, it's that circling back and forward around that thing and, and it's like you're making maps over maps over maps rather than... Um, just to sort of, you know, I began here and went to here and went to here. And, and the cause and effect thing can become so much more complicated in that and also much looser. So you're not, I didn't want to get stuck in that story. You know, you tell your story and it's sort of, if you tell it in that kind of, then this happened and then that happened and then, of course, that happened and then that happened, it's like it's very sort of, well, there's no other way it could have been, whereas... To write it in fragments like this in the in the poems and have that kind of juxtaposition of these different elements to it gave it a lot more lightness and a lot more space that I could 
play around in the memories and play around in, in the that fragmented self that you build through your relationships and what happens to you and see it differently, constantly see it differently and constantly sort of find a little way out. Yes, and it, it also you can bring in a historical context as well that's not necessarily your own. For example, the trip up the Great Ocean Road where you, know, you actually feel the, the loss of the, the diggers, this whole sort of, you know, the, the longest memorial Yes, it's actually the Great Ocean Road is the longest, is, is the biggest war memorial in the world and um, it was built by soldiers after the First World War and someone came up with the idea that sort of this would be a great way for them to recuperate. Um, they've just had this huge trauma that they've gone through so send them off to this isolated place and do some hard work and it kind of, it was funny how it sort of mirrored looking back on it when I was driving down there and I, I read about it um, on this you know, big notice board on the side of the road and so on, um, how it sort of mirrored away in a way um, what I did when my tendency, I guess, when have a trauma, a lot of people's tendency when they have a, something go wrong is to go and be with other people. Um, it, it's looking back in my life, I realised how often my tendency was to, to, to escape somewhere I could be alone or could reinvent myself in some way. So, yeah, it was um, that really, being able to do that in the poems too and using that kind of montage technique, if, if it was just that poem, that very long poem about um, getting chronic fatigue and going to this isolated place on the shipwrecked coast, I think it would just be too heavy, but by sandwiching it between two poems, the one about the the workers and then another one about um, the dark night of the soul and the whales. <laughs> it's sort of, there was, you know, I could use it in a way that I could sort of just put another, just shift it somehow rather than just telling it. You're sort of also, you're shifting it, you're working with the story rather than just, just trying to tell it, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, of course it does. Um, and did you, were you writing all the time when you were on the road or did it really all come together as a poetic whole after the fact? After the fact, a couple of years after the fact, yeah, I think there's only one poem in there, um, the last hurrah, that was actually that I made notes on at the time and, and thought maybe I should be writing poetry. <laughs> and I sort of, you know, sat sat in this park and made some notes. And um, but I just, I had actually at that stage, I just didn't know what what I was going to do, whether I was going to write again or what. And um, so. No, I, I didn't, and I was more trying to look for a job, you know, what kind of job I could do in my circumstances and from home and so on, something that would pay. <laughs> and so this was, it, it, the book was written over a period of about um, about a year and um, and it was sort of from that moment when I thought, oh, what if I write a tiny little book of poems about that year and just exploring different aspects of it and building it up and, and then kind of working, oh, I need a poem about this and I'll, I'll need to convey that somehow and I need to look at this thing or I, need, I want to do something about weeds and things like that and just building them up that way. And, and after a while I started to get that sort of beginning, middle and end and then I could sort of work within that. So, yeah, it was like a frame in which I could play with the other stuff. Yes, so I was going to ask you, you know, why you decided to create this memoir using poetry as opposed to, for example, prose. But 
course, you've mm. answered all those questions. Um, the interesting <laughs> thing really is that it, it, poetry is, it's not nonfiction. So, you know, you, you, I, people do read it that way. I mean, it's hard not to read it as memoir, but of course it is also uh, a piece of art. So it's not necessarily solely the story of a woman on the road, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's I guess, is it nonfiction? I haven't read it. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm just trying to think, is there anything in there that I wouldn't think of as true to me? So it's not the whole story. I think that's the thing, and that's, that's the beauty of a memoir rather than trying to write an autobiography or, or a history in that old style of having to, you know, the, um, the definitive history. Certainly not the definitive. I could write another book tomorrow, start another book tomorrow about that year, which would be quite different. Mm. So it's, it's that kind of, um, um, in terms of historiography, if we want to go into that, it's, it's what I think of as the, um, or what has been someone else written, referred to as the, um, the coherence view of telling the story of history rather, or non-fiction rather than um, the correspondence. So it's not like each thing has to, like you're trying to recreate the, something that was true or that really happened. It's not like, a, not like a jigsaw that you're trying to make all the pieces till you get the whole picture. It's more that sort of you're creating something that coheres, is co coherent with what happened. And, um, and yeah, where, where you put your attention, I suppose, attention. Yes, perhaps the one yes. What what, what feels yeah. significant, and it's one, and it's also what you want to do with the story. I mean, if I wanted to write a story about poor me, sad, sad, terrible things happen or something like that, it would be a completely different story. But I wanted to write a story that was a way of me finding home, that was a way of me finding belonging and um, so I'm looking at different things I'm, I'm looking for different things have different significance and you know if you think in terms of facts um, a fact that might be significant to that other story would be something that would have to be manipulated a bit for this story or um, less significant so it's what you yes yeah, where you put your attention depends on what kind of story you end up with yes and and so on the topic of belonging and attention um, can, you, can you read Lost Woman Lost Woman, yes. Well, Lost Woman was a found poem, and um, uh, there's a couple of found poems in this. And this was um, a, a newspaper article I came across, and that just seemed very fitting. And um, I actually have begun to sort of think of this one as um, that it, it really captures what writing a memoir can be about that you're both the, the woman on the bus doing the looking and you're also the one being looked for so this is called lost woman looks for herself found poem a foreign tourist is reported missing in the volcanic canyon in the southern highlands of iceland on a saturday afternoon when she fails to return to her tour bus the driver waits one hour before he notifies police 50 people search in vehicles by foot even a helicopter is prepared that is delayed by fog and then, at three in the morning, the search is called off. The missing woman has been on the bus all along. The woman, the chief, chief of police said, was innocent of the mistake. She even participated in the search for herself. It seems that before she re-entered the bus after the stop, she changed her clothes and freshened up, and the other passengers failed to recognise her. She, too, failed to recognise the description of herself. She had, said the chief of police, no idea that she was missing. I love that story. 
I feel like when you were on the road that you were also looking for the missing person. Yes, I did. I felt so lost, and um, it was it was look. It was, it was such an interesting year. It was I had been living alone for ten years in this country town, and had been created this amazing garden and renovated house and all this sort of thing. And I started to realise I was getting a bit isolated, and so this did actually. So I thought I'd move back to the city, but that plan didn't work out. And having the camp, having my little camper van, it was like my cubby house on wheels, is how I used to refer to it, and. Having that, it was like a snail with a shell. It allowed me to go back into the world and visit people, but I could also um, sort of disappear back into my little van and drive on. So it was a, it was a strange year. It was, um, and I did feel quite lost to who I was because I'd always wanted to be a writer and always had been writing, and to have actually given that up. There's a, a poem about. Um, about that in there and so at, at, at the same time as depossessing myself of the of all the objects in the house all the things I'd built up over the years and um, most of my possessions there was also that kind of depossessing myself of that um, kind of drive to to write to tell stories to um, work with language and so on and so by kind of I had to sort of like give myself permission to not be a writer, which took quite a while. <laughs> and, um, but once I'd done that, was it, well, well what am I? And it, it's, it's, so that sense of lostness is about that sense of where you belong in the world and so on too. And I think that was, um, that was a recurring thing for me throughout the year. Yes, once you strip the, all of the, I guess, the paper mache we put on ourselves. Mm, mm. I mean, our roles are how we met, how we kind of stitch ourselves into the, the fabric of the culture. Mm. And if you don't have any of those roles, I mean, the, the whole thing about being homeless, it's not just, you know, when you think of the, um, the, the real problem of homelessness for a lot of people these days, it's not just not having somewhere, a roof over your head. It is profoundly destabilising if you also don't have a job and you don't have if you don't have a connection with family or whatever there's those ways in which you negotiate the world those ways in which you communicate with people and respond to people and they respond to you are kind of missing and it can be a profoundly destabilizing strange thing and of course you know asylum seekers is um another extreme of that I mean you think of these people who have left their home and their culture and their family and their jobs and everything propelled you know by the trauma to sort of come and try and seek safety and then we go and lock them up it's just and treat them abominably it is really heartbreaking because these people are, are already so incredibly traumatized yes it's hard enough Absolutely. I can't imagine that that what that would be like to be so destabilized in that way and then also not allowed to work not all that kind of thing it's just um it's yeah it's an interesting yes we, we probably shouldn't go there sort of like yeah, my experience was like a little microcosm of what you know really is quite a profound problem for a lot of people and mine was just one year and it was just um an interesting experience for me but for for those who don't have the option then of finding somewhere afterwards you know i was very privileged 
homeless person because I did have the money to buy a camper van and I had a lot of great friends who, you know, let me sleep out in front of their houses and use their bathrooms and all the rest of it. But um, so even, but even at that level, it was very destabilising for me. So, But I suppose in your case too, it was a journey, a specific journey of self-discovery. I mean, there was, it seems to me that there's quite a lot of, I guess, a, a Buddhistic thread that seems to run through the book about finding who we are without those, you know, that you walked away from those things, that it is quite a different thing. You made a decision that, you know, this was, I understand there were some constraints, um, but also that this was something that you could do safely. But it was something I was both terrified of and excited by. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, all of that kind of, it, it is that kind of um, to let go of the things that have been holding you together, but perhaps they're also holding you in a kind of a, um, trapping you in it, yeah, trapping you as well as holding you. So the, the things that, and it, it's all that balance between having the right amount of boundaries and the right amount of structure because too much structure is, is very imprisoning for people. And I can understand that the people who felt um, that they had too much structure in their lives, that every minute of their day was accounted for either by their job or their kids or their parents or looking after their aged parents or whatever it was, um, for them, you know, I was, oh, lucky you, you've got all this freedom. Whereas for me, I had too much freedom, which then can become chaos. And um, so it is, it's finding that balance. It's constantly finding that balance. And, and so in a way, I think of it sort of as finding that ecology of your own life and fitting yourself into the ecology of the, the wider life. And it is about um, finding your unique spot and also finding that balance with other people's in finding a way to have your your own specificity your own uniqueness in a way that doesn't that contributes to others rather than takes from them in a way so yeah mm. so we're almost out of time but I do want to squeeze one more in and it's right, okay. on, topic. So, um, can you, <laughs> right on topic can you read us truck stop Truck stop. Oh, yes. So that's the thing. Everyone sort of thinks, oh, you lucky thing. Did you go around Australia and, you know, imagining me out in the desert and the oceans and all this kind of thing. And I was just sort of spent most of my time just going up and down the highway visiting people. And I'd, you know, get up to Queensland and then someone in Melbourne would have a birthday, you know, 50th birthday party or whatever I'd have to come back for. So I spent a lot of the time just on the highways. And, um, but I found that one of the, moments that I found most magical when I think back on it is actually like in in these totally anonymous truck stops where no one in the world knew where I was and that's the amazing thing about a little camper van and the way you create home is that once you close those curtains it just has this beautiful it, it is like a little cubby house and and you can be um and that's, I guess, it's that. That's to me too, is the difference between solitude and loneliness. When it, when you you can get, when you've got a sense of safety, and you stop trying to compare yourself with others or judge yourself or anything, but you're just there in the moment, and it becomes that gorgeous sense of solitude and expandedness. So this is just a little poem called Truck Stop. I love a small house that wraps snug and warm, like rain on the roof, kettle singing, fridge humming. humming glow of the laptop, bolster for a desk, hot water bottle nestling, towel drying, sandy shoes, ripe fruit and a plate, and melting through high windows the clean soft edge of a new night. 
perfect way to finish. It's <laughs> <laughs> been a great discussion. Thank you. Yes. Um, look, just just before we finish off, I'm going slightly over time. Um, what's in the pipeline for you at the moment, Beth? Ooh, well, I think I've learned the value of being kind of private about that. <laughs> I you've got the party so of life what coming I'm out. working on in the past, and, and of course, I never finished it. So I, I'm, I'm just going to kind of, um, you know, tinkering some things. <laughs> yes, well, I know you've got the party of life coming out. You can talk about that. Oh yes, that's, that's, um, this is a um, uh, Kit Kellen, who is professor of English at Macau University. He's been doing this fantastic series of poetry books, um, the Pocket Book series, and he matches up an Australian poet with um, a Chinese translator, often his graduate students, and creates these remarkable little books that are so he got me he asked me um would I like to do one of of course, and so this is um, pieces that are collected from. Things in a Glass Box, which is my first book from How to Conceive of a Girl, which was actually fiction, but there is actually um, some prose poems in that, and um, f- some from Vagabondage, and even a, a few that haven't been published elsewhere, and one from maybe what the next work is going to be. And so um, he matched me up with um, a wonderful translator, Ruby Chen, and um, I also had previously had some translated by Iris Fan, and so this is this gorgeous little designed book called Pocket Books because they're a nice little size and um, and I called this one The Party of Life which is after the name of one of the poems in Vagabondage and um, I'd probably be launching that sometime this year. I think this might just be a little rare book. There's not many copies around so it's sort of Perfect. Beth, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today's, today. And listeners, don't thank forget you. to subscribe to the show at iTunes or via the site if you haven't already. Bye for now. Bye-bye.